Inner chaos is part of so many lives. When we go through it, we often try to hide it on the outside. Now I'm okay. I'm all good. But inside, there's a struggle. Why do I feel this way? Am I broken? Am I the only one feeling like this? When people connected with Jesus, they would grow to trust Him, pull down the mask they wore. Good everyone. Good to see you. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together and the doors were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said to them, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, known as Didymus, he was one of the 12. He was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were in the house again and Thomas this time was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he looked at Thomas and he said, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord And my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. And Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Jesus, the one who has gone through death and come alive, the one who still bears the marks of his crucifixion, but is now seated at the right hand of the Father. As you came among the disciples that day and appeared to them, as you came to Thomas and showed yourself to him, tonight, come. Be here and show yourself to us that we might believe. Amen. Well, kia ora, everyone. It's really good to see you. And uh, like these guys, I am so stoked to have Sunday nights kicking back in again. It's awesome, eh? 
so good. I really missed it over the summer, and it's really cool to kind of jump back in. Um, as we begin tonight, uh, Caleb and Monica, can you guys hand out these markers? So we're going to do something a little fun together. Uh, Caleb and Monica have some markers. Grab one. There should be enough for everyone. If not, share one between the two of you, um, and hopefully this will all work. And uh, they'll come around, so grab a few and pass them along. Uh, while this is going around, uh, we're starting in with Sunday nights in like this big series that's kind of joining in together with Sunday mornings. And Sunday mornings, we're talking about how it's okay not to be okay, and we're looking at specific stories where Jesus interacts with people who were not okay. He interacts with people on the margins of society, people who were difficult, people who were shunned, people who are outcasts, and we're looking at how he draws them in and brings them home. Here tonight at Sunday nights, we're still in this okay, it's not to be okay series, but what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to look at specific things that sometimes it's really hard for us to talk about in church. These things that kind of make us feel a little bit awkward when some, someone brings them up at the small group or uh, makes us all cringe when there's that one guy that raises this issue again and again. We're wanting to take some time to delve into these because even though they're awkward and even though they're difficult, we need to go through them because we need to understand that it's, it's okay not to be okay and that somehow God meets us in the midst of this. So if you have your marker, why don't you do a favor for me? Uh, some of them will be coming around, and when you get there, you can do it. And now you can do this. If you don't want to, don't worry. You can just pretend you're doing it. No one will judge you. I will. Um, afterwards, what I want you to do is so take, take the marker in your kind of dominant hand, whatever hand you tend to write. And uh, on, your other, on your hand, I want you to write the word faith. So get it on there. All right, face on your hand. Very good. All right, now blow on it. Awesome. And now I want you to take, take the marker and now switch it to your other hand. And on your other hand, I want you to write doubt. Yeah. Well... Anyone ambidextrous in here? If you are, you're going to ruin my sermon illustration. So just don't talk to us later. All right, so should look something like this, re relatively. Yeah, everyone, everyone got there? Blow on your other hand, because otherwise it's going to turn into a mushy mess at some point. Awesome. Huh, cool. So we got this ready. All right, so tonight we're talking about lust. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyone else feel awkward when I said that? Uh, tonight we're going to talk about doubt. And doubt um, in all of its glory. And uh, I was, this week as I was preparing for it and I was thinking through, I was trying to think how do we talk about doubt and what do we think about doubt and is doubt cool, is doubt not cool? And as I was going through and I was doing some research, I was going through just like the online blogs because there's heaps like there's like thousands of Christian blogs of people writing all their good hearts and intentions online. And there are so many about doubt. And I realized that when we talk about doubt, there's this surface level where I think most of us understand that doubt is a really regular and normal part of the Christian walk, right? I mean, most of us would think, oh yeah, doubt, it's just something you go through and uh, it's pretty normal. And so you'd think, at first I thought, in our context, you think that when we talk about doubt, it'd be something really normal. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, as much as we say doubt is a really, you know, important and valuable part of the Christian walk, and 
It's okay, we'll journey with you through your doubt, my brother, my sister. You know, we say all those language. Um, I don't think we're actually that comfortable with doubt. We say we are, but we're actually not. Wanna know why? Have any of you guys been in that small group setting or been in that setting in church where we're praying for someone and there's someone who needs prayer for some sickness or prayer for some healing? And as we're talking about it, have you ever been the one to think, why does God, I mean, I'm glad we're praying for healing, but why does God always seem to be really good at healing headaches and backaches, but pretty terrible at, you know, getting limbs to grow back? I never thought that. Anyone ever had the, the gall to ask that question during the prayer session? Hey, I'm really cool to pray for them, but I just have a question about this God healing thing and whether he actually does it or whether it's just a placebo and an emotional effect that everyone gets together and lays hands and you release endorphins and your pain goes away temporarily and then you leave and come back and 20 minutes later your pain's back because your adrenaline's left your body. Anyone ever asked that in a prayer meeting? No? No? Or what about how come God seems to be really good with like bad backs or something, but he doesn't do too much with mental illness? You ever asked that question in public? Or have you ever been in the small group where uh, someone's really excited about God and how God made the universe? And have you ever been the one person in there who wants to be like, yeah, that's all cool. Uh, but in your head, you're wrestling about how to talk about maybe if evolution is okay or not. But then you're trying to think, how do you say it without for fear of being branded like some liberal or heretic by the small group? Anyone else ever done that? Anyone else ever done that? Or, or have you ever been in one of these church services, right? And everyone's singing and everyone's having a great time. And have you ever had this existential moment where you're sitting there and you're thinking, this is cool, but are we just like deluding ourselves on a mass level by doing like mutual coping mechanisms in order to get our emotions to a good manipulated state? But actually what we're worshiping is just a projection of God from what we think he is. Anyone been there? Yeah. Hey, anyone ever asked that question in public? Hi, good job, Ryan. You're the man. You can go home. You're, uh, you're sorted. We don't. It's because it's, it's this uncomfortable thing to talk about and to work through because often we don't want to be that guy or we don't want to be that difficult person who like derails the cool church service. And like I, I realized as I was thinking through this, the sermon and I was trying to think of questions we can ask, I realized that I'm not okay with doubt because as I was thinking of examples to ask, I was running through them thinking, now as a pastor, am I allowed to say that from the stage? Can I raise that example? Will people think of me as a liberal pastor? Can I raise that question? I even sat there thinking, wow, I feel awkward asking some of these questions from pulpit on stage. And it's not just here, it's actually emulated in a wider Christian culture as well. Um, a few years ago, I mean, a lot of you guys will know this, but there's a author named Rob Bell, who's a pastor, and he released this book called Love Wins. And uh, if you haven't heard of it, it uh, raised like, uh, it's like a, a tsunami, like a bomb hit the kind of evangelical Christian world, and it just, the ripples spread everywhere. And what's fascinating to me is that this book if you haven't read it, it, it's an interesting read. It's not his best work. I think Rob Bell has written much better books. But Rob Bell, essentially what he does is he starts to question hell. And he starts to question the idea of hell, if whether hell is a literal place of eternal conscious torment where God sends people to satisfy his wrath. So he raises questions saying, I don't know what I think about this. And if you read the book, 
When other people talk about their book, they, sound, they make it sound like Rob Bell has thrown out all of his Christian faith in one go. But it's not true. When he goes through the book, basically Rob Bell spends the entire book asking a lot of questions. He questions understandings of hell. He questions the understanding of the word Gehenna. He questions the theology that's brought it to it. He questions so much. And he hints at an idea that maybe hell will be a place where God's love will ultimately redeem them and bring them back into creation. So all eventually might be saved. He doesn't actually go explicitly all the way and say, this is what I think. He just hints saying, maybe this is an option. And so essentially, I think Rob Bell's book of love wins is a big book of someone processing doubt. And he released it to a wide audience. And one of the most fascinating responses came from uh, John Piper, who's another really big pastor in the States. He's got a huge ministry called Desiring God. He, uh, he sent out this response, and it was just a short tweet, but it encapsulates what I think a lot of us subconsciously feel about doubt. He sent out a short tweet that said, goodbye, Rob Bell. Is that not fascinating? Now, obviously, there's questions to ask about the role of a leader promoting teachings that may be dubious, but really, Rob's book was a book of questions that raised questions and that processed through doubt. And so there's this often response where we think it's this bad thing. And even in a big, massive scale of Christianity, when someone does that, they got ostracized. And ever since that book of love wins, Rob Bell's been a sketchy name within Christianity. Before, he was like the man. All of his NUMA DVDs were like the thing to watch if you were a young adult. But after Love Wins, well, he kind of went off the deep end, and now he's working with Oprah, and pff, if you're working with Oprah, you're just too far gone. And that's what happens. It's so easy with doubt for it to be this uncomfortable thing for us to work through. And so we, we all are at this place where we have these two things. And now we have faith which is often really, really quite pretty. It's, it's good. We like it. It's respectable. When we come to church, we really be like, hey, guys, look at, look at my faith. <laughs> look at my faith. Isn't this amazing? I'm really faithful. But then on the other hand, we've got, we got doubt, which um, I don't know about your hands, but mine looks like a chicken ran over it. Um, it's, it's, it's ugly. It's, it's awkward. And it's, it's uncomfortable. And it's... It's, it's nasty and it doesn't really have any easy responses. But the truth is all of us walk around with both of these things. And all of us will go through both of these things. And I want to delve into some responses of what we do with these things. So when you're at this place, when you have both of them, an easy response, which some of us here often do, which I think John Piper potentially exemplified, even if he didn't intentionally do it, was we take faith and we say, well, faith is the good thing. So I'm just going to move this one back here. I'm going to take faith, and I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to hold on to it really, really strongly. And I'm going to hold on to it so stiff that nothing will ever make me let it go. And you begin to clench your hand around your faith, and it begins to manifest in different sounds. There's a, a famous bumper sticker that talks about the Word of God that says, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. <clears throat> faith. Yes! Or you, you have the sense of like with faith where if someone begins to question or someone begins to doubt, you're like, well, you just need to hold on to your faith. You need to pray. If someone's gone through, uh, if someone's still sick, when we say, well, we, you probably just need to pray more. If you just have enough faith, if you just 
hold on to your faith a little bit longer, you'll probably be healed because that's what God wants to do. God is faithful. And so we hold on to it stronger and stronger. And when other people begin to raise doubts and begin to push this into it, and as you begin to raise doubts, you just shove it back and you hold that away as far as you can. And you hold stronger onto faith and say, nope, I'm just going to pray more. I'm just going to believe more. And those doubts will go away because God is faithful and I'm going to be a faithful one. But if you notice the, the harder that you try and hold on to faith like this, the sure you try to go like this, the more you tend to often suffocate it both within yourself and within others. The, the longer you hold on to this and you're just emotionally suppressing your doubts and pushing them to the back of your mind and not working through them and not looking at them, what you're doing is you're suffocating your faith and you're holding into this tiny, small, desperate place because really the fear is that if you let go of this and if some cracks begin to appear, you might lose the whole thing. And this might come and overwhelm it and you might be lost with this and left with this ugly thing. So you cling really really hard to faith. We try to hold our doubts away. Another thing that you can often do is if you're, you're at this place and you have faith and you doubt, and I've seen this with many people, rather than holding on to their faith with a, with a clenched fist and said what they do is they push this as far forward as they can. They just want to hold their doubts out here. And I don't know if you've ever done this. I've done this. Holding your doubts out here is what happens when Every time you come to church, you're so flooded with doubts and questions. And why do we sing? And why do we pray? And is God real? And oh, I just, I can't be bothered. So I'm just going to sit in the back and just meh, meh, that's good enough. And if anyone ever tries to come push us, and if anyone tries to bring some faith into it and ask us about faith and how faith is interacting with our doubts, we push this further back. And someone says, have you prayed? And you say, well, I don't even know if prayer makes a difference. You say, well, have you thought about Jesus? I don't even know if Jesus was real. And have you thought about reading the Bible? And you say, please, the Bible was gone through so many translations. I don't even know if it's God's word anymore. It's probably not even true. I'm just going to sit back here and just hold this out here. And what happens is doubt becomes a shield by which we try to hold ourselves away from things that could penetrate and begin to get through some of these things. Because we often, the thing about this kind of doubt when we hold it out here is I wish people who held their doubt out here took their doubts as seriously as they pretend they do. Because if they did, they might actually look into them. They might actually pursue them. They might actually walk through them and say, yeah, you know what? I, I don't understand how God's word works with all these translations. And are they even reliable? If, if these people with the doubt move forward, they might understand that we actually have thousands and thousands of manuscripts from these ancient translations. And so while there are some variancies, we can be pretty sure that what we have here is really, really, really close to what was originally written. But the thing about these, this kind of doubt and holding it like a shield is it's not about the doubts. It's this fear that if the doubts go away, then we lose our protection. We lose our emotional buffer between this uncontrollable, unknowable, frankly, kind of terrifying God who is bigger than anything we can imagine. And we lose that buffer between him and, and us and our shaky, weary, terrified state. 
And so we push faith back and we hold doubt forward like a shield, trying to let no one or nothing come close to us. And so we have these two responses that hold and cling to one or to the other. The thing is, though, about both of these responses, you come to this knowledge that both of these things are about us. When we're clinging on to faith so desperately, the faith is no longer about a faithful God who holds us and sustains us. It's about us clinging desperately to try and feel safe and secure with what we know because we're afraid we're going to get swept away into a river that we cannot swim ourselves. And as long as we hold doubt on a shield, it's us trying to keep a buffer, a space that keeps us safe from a God who might not respect our boundaries that we don't know. And we're not sure if he's actually going to be who he says he's going to be because in the past he probably hasn't. Both of these things hold true because they're both about us being held, our faith, ourselves, holding our doubt, ourselves. Faith and and doubt. So I'm so thankful that included in these scriptures in the gospel of John, right at the very end, we encounter this wonderful, wonderful man named Thomas. Because I think Thomas exemplifies something for us that we just so desperately need to hear. See, I think Thomas gets a really bad rap. Within Christianity and and faith, he's often known as Doubting Thomas. There's whole blogs of faith of people who are like, I'm a Doubting Thomas. I'm just just not sure about this. I'm just a Doubting Thomas, guys. I doubt. My name is also Thomas. The thing is, though, when you look deeper, Thomas just represents this something about faith that we can hold on to so, so deeply. See, because when Thomas... When he encounters this knowledge of this risen Christ and his friends and his, his disciples and his brothers are saying to him, we have seen the Lord. He has this encounter and this move through faith. See, there's this stage where Thomas could have been like, yep, yep, that's fine. Yep. You said it. That's cool. That's fine. Uh, yep, 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 yep. And I'm just going to hold this forward. I'm just going to, I'm just going to pretend like it's all okay. But that's not what he does. See, Thomas is so, Thomas recognizes that this is just as much a part of his journey as this has been thus far. See, early on, Thomas has been the one that said, look, we will follow Jesus till his death. And then Jesus died. And then he was like, now what? And so he's got this moment where the doubt comes through. And rather than clinging so desperately, he allows the question to come up and say, guys, unless I see his hands and I can put my fingers where the nails went through and until I can put my hand in his side, this is where I'm at. And it's so easy now with 2000 years of Christianity, we look at Thomas and we're like, Oh, silly Thomas, you should have believed. You should have just believed, you know? And there's this verse later on that says, well, you know, Thomas, blessed are you because you've seen me, but blessed are those who have not seen me and believed. And we come into this understanding that we think it's, it's better if he had just blindly believed who God was. What we don't realize is that this same doubting Thomas had the same difficulty that every other disciple had. When news spread, it wasn't the disciples who first learned. It was some women who learned that Jesus had resurrected. And when they said, a lot of the disciples were like, wait, sorry, he's what? I actually need to go to the tomb 
and see for myself. See, what was the thing that led every other disciple to faith? It was them being able to see Jesus, to see the nails in his hands, to see the wound in his side, and that brought them to faith. And so we put these harsh restrictions on Thomas saying we should have blindly believed. The truth is Thomas was just wanting the same thing every other disciple needed, which was an encounter with the risen Jesus. But my favorite thing about Thomas is that he didn't wallow in his doubts either. When he first heard that Jesus had resurrected, it would have been so easy for Thomas to say, look, you guys can believe what you want to believe. You guys go do your thing, but I saw him die. And that's the end of the story. And he could have never done anything beyond that. But instead you have this wonderful text where it says, but a week later, as the disciples gathered, Thomas was still with them. See, there's this willingness for Thomas to say, look, I'm doubting, but this doubt isn't the sum of who I am. I'm going to keep walking on this journey. I'm going to keep walking until I encounter Jesus again. I'm going to walk with my family until something changes. There wasn't this one or the other, but somehow Thomas was able to bring these two things together. Because Thomas knew and understood what we often miss is that as long as we're holding on like this and we're holding on like this, our faith is purely based on our own ability. It's whether we can believe enough, whether we can overcome our own doubts, whether we can just turn off that switch in our mind and suddenly magically make everything okay. But the truth is, just like every single disciple from those first 12 to Thomas to now, the only reason we have faith is because Jesus has shown himself to us because Jesus has come to us and said, look, put your fingers in my hands, put your hand into my side because Jesus has called our names and spoken to us. And what does this mean for doubt? It means that faith, faith isn't a brick wall. Often for so many people, faith is this brick wall where you've got these few concrete bricks and everything is built upon it. But if one of the two of those things disappear and fall away, our whole wall of faith is broken. It's shattered. It's gone. Faith isn't a brick wall. Faith Faith is a lot more like a trampoline. There are all these springs. There are all these things holding it together. And there are times when you will lose one or two of them. There are times when you're not going to think God does miracles again. There are times when you're not going to be sure if the Bible is true. There are times when you're going to doubt whether God is real. There are times when you're going to doubt whether this church thing is worth it. There are times where you're going to walk through this journey and you're going to lose some of those springs. But your system of faith does not fail because it's held together by Christ. He holds you. He has appeared to you. He has called your name. Your faith does not rest on yourself. Christ wants to meet with you. And so when we look at doubt... 
truth is, I'm, I'm, I'm heartbroken. I have so many friends who, who have walked through this journey, and doubt has become this overwhelming thing. And when they've tried to vocalize it, when they've tried to talk about it, they're hit this, with this wall by their friends and by their family, where it's like someone's suffocating their faith, saying, you just need to believe a little bit more. You just need to, you just need to, it, if you just pray more, you'll be fine. And for them, they thought, well, if that's true, then I can't do it. Because as you walk through this sea of doubt, it's ugly and it's uncomfortable and you can't hold it together. And truth is, doubt is often beyond our control, just like the circumstances of Thomas's doubt was beyond his control. It's not like Thomas should have magically known that people rose from the dead. That wasn't a common belief back then. Thomas had to encounter this faith of a God who came to him. And so my heart breaks when I hear in Christianity that doubt becomes this thing that holds us back because we cannot vocalize it. And so we sit at the back and we let it overwhelm and consume us. Friends, family, it is okay not to be okay. Friends and family, it is okay not to have the answers. Friends, it is okay to question hell and the afterlife. Friends and family, it is okay to question whether God heals. It is okay to sit here on a Sunday night and think, I don't even know if any of this is real. That is okay. Because each of us will often wonder whether Christ has actually risen. But what I wish, my hope and my prayer is that each and every one of us would cry out just like Thomas did. Jesus, I need to see the nails in your hands. And Jesus, I need to put my hand in your side. Jesus, I need you to show yourself to me. Because this doubt is not going to go away on its own. And my faith is not strong enough to stand unless you are holding me through it. Where are you at tonight? in your faith or in your doubt? Have you been clinging so strongly to faith that you've been suppressing deep-seated fears that you thought might unsettle you? If so, open up your hand and let yourself breathe. It's okay to wrestle through those questions. And if you've been welling in a sea of doubt, caught in the currents of which you cannot control yourself, please rest assured And tonight, would you echo Thomas's prayer? Jesus, show yourself to me. We're not going to have the answers quickly. We're not going to have the answers easily. Our doubts aren't going to go away in a day. And to be honest, the questions that you and I will face in this journey of faith don't have easy, simple answers that I could communicate to you in a Sunday night. But somehow when Jesus shows himself, your faith will grow. Because he calls you, he sustains you, and he lifts you up. A week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came, and he stood among them. And he said, peace be with you.
And he says here tonight, as he stands amongst us, friends, peace be with you. Wherever you are at in your journey of faith, whether you are happy and doing okay, whether you are awash in a sea of doubt, Jesus says to you, friends, peace be with you. See my hands, see my side, and believe. Let's pray. Jesus, doubt, doubt is a terrifying thing. It's, it's ugly and it's, it's completely outside of our control. And Lord, for so many of us, doubt becomes this, this crippling thing that holds us back, that holds us down. Something that we try to suppress or something that we think we can hold on to because some reason it'll keep us safe from the deeper questions that actually lie underneath it that we don't really want to face. Jesus, come and be with us here. Lord, for those of us here tonight who are hounded by questions, of questions that don't seem to cease, of questions that don't seem to go away, of, of doubts that arise every time we try to come close to you, every time we open our Bibles or try to pray or come into a church to worship you, these questions arise and these doubts plague us. And it's so hard to see you and to know you. Jesus, would you meet us here in that place? Jesus, would you give us that peace? Would you say to us, peace be to you? And would you fill us? Lord, for those of us here tonight who have walked in and feeling like our faith is, is in tatters or held together by small little threads, Jesus, would you bind those together? And Lord, would you give us the courage to shout out, to cry out, Lord, we need to see your hands. Lord, we need to put our hand in your side. Lord Jesus, we need to encounter you tonight. We need to know that you are alive. Because if you're not alive, then none of this is working. Then our faith will surely fall and fail. God, we cry that out to you tonight. Show yourself to us. Let us touch your hands. Let us touch your side. Let us know that you are alive. And would you enable us to walk this journey with our faith and our doubt brought together held together by you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith.